Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Great Stir Podcast, and I'm your host, Anya. I'm your host, Ken. <laughs> Hi, Barbie. Yeah, so I'm Tyler. Uh, as you know, we are the Great Stir Podcast, or some of the Great Stir Podcasts, and we're here to talk about the event of the moment. And I don't even just say cinematic event, because I feel like these movies have actually like transcended just being like an event for movie people, you know? Yeah, no, this really broke through in terms of, like, I guess, pop culture. Like, mm-hmm. we're here to talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer, otherwise known as Barbenheimer. Yes. And, you know, because this has transcended, like, this is a very trendy topic, I guess you could say. And mm-hmm. so, like, you know, we're obviously not, like, at all the first people to talk about this. But, you know, we haven't uploaded in a while. And Tyler and I haven't really spoken to each other about these movies yet yeah both seen them so Mm -hmm. this is also just for our own reflexive enjoyment of like Mm -hmm. what did you think about this and that yeah no it's interesting because like very i would actually say that like only a few people know like my full thoughts on this move on both of these movies because i had like my knee-jerk reactions like right when i finished and then both movies actually like as i started to take them in more and more like these movies are both really good, and I think they're both growers. Yeah, I've sat on both of these for a few days. I saw Barbie about a week ago. I saw Oppenheimer on Friday morning when it came out. And so I've only seen each of them once. Yeah. You know. I do plan to see both of them again. So this is just like the first mm. first viewing reaction, sort of. Yeah, I might end up seeing both again. One of them I will definitely be seeing again. Um and we'll get there shortly. So, to start this off, Tyler and I considered that we would do Oppenheimer first. So, yeah. this is technically going to be a review of both movies, but also just a conversation for the two of us. Yep. So, I'll still break down, like, briefly about the movie. So, I mean, again, I assume most uh, listeners and people know about Oppenheimer, but Oppenheimer... It's the newest film from Christopher Nolan, who is an incredibly renowned director, especially mm-hmm. like in the um, blockbuster space. Um, yes. And this is a movie about Robert J. Oppenheimer, who is known for uh, being the father, the inventor of the atomic bomb. And in this movie, as you can probably tell from the trailers, or if you <clears throat> it, there's some narrative threads going on of, color sequences and black and white sequences because you know primarily we follow Oppenheimer we go from you know the pre-World War II days where he's studying quantum physics he's teaching in UC Berkeley he's getting involved with like local leftist politics there and then you know all leading to the Los Alamos Manhattan project and then Mm. He also has a closed hearing in, I think, 1954, where he's being, like, prosecuted to get his security clearance removed. Um, And this is, like, you know, getting towards, like, Cold War. And this is in relation to Louis Strauss, who we see in many black and white sequences. Mm -hmm. And he's also going through a hearing, a confirmation hearing in the Senate. And he's, like, more of a bureaucratic puppet i guess you could say the way he orchestrated in relation to oppenheimer's hearing and Mm. i mean this is a three-hour like (laughs) a large like imax 70 millimeter as you all know 
they got a big blown out of proportion uh, yes tail this is a this is a capital m movie mm-hmm. and that's like what nolan always prides himself on he's like he doesn't hide it whatsoever he wants people to go watch this movie in the biggest format possible it's yes um and so i did i saw this in imax i did not see it in the film i saw it projected yeah I, I wasn't able to either yeah, so this is, I just watched a digital IMAX. I know a lot of people had some hiccups with the the seventy millimeter in terms of like the projection messing up, mm-hmm. but um, specifically Marlon. Marlon has some strong takes on this movie. If you want to go check his letterbox down, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but and we'll get into the technicalities of this movie. But I guess to do some overall reactions, mm-hmm. I actually loved this movie mm-hmm. and i was looking forward to it when i sat down to watch it i was a little nervous because i was like dang i got excited for this but am i actually like like what am i actually going to think about it you know nolan i'm on the fence about i think he can often do really great stuff and then i often find him you know you know i'm like in the middle with him um but so I would say this is one of the best movies he's made. I would agree with you. And, you know, <clears throat> there is still something a little bit cold and blunt about this movie. And yet, I think it really broke through. I think one immediate thing that, I mean, you can just see it as the movie starts, is that this is such a fast-paced movie. And that really yes. me off guard. There's so much editing in this movie. <laughs> I would agree. I like couldn't believe my eyes. It's like, oh, we're cutting already. Oh, there's like another scene happening. Um, and again, these black and white color strands are just really weaving between one another. And uh, I mean, even the dialogue is quite blunt and direct um, and not very subtle. But I feel like even through some of these like kind of artificial like techniques, and no one mm-hmm. doing this through the sphere of like a big budget film and not to say like this movie is like a blockbuster movie i think it's not <laughs> oh i would totally agree with you the fact that this is the fact that nolan took universal's money and and this end of like middle of the summer release date which like has proven to be very successful for him um both with this movie and in the past and this is the movie he decided to make is like insane to me and yeah what's even more insane to me is that is that audiences love this movie like general audiences really seem to enjoy it and because this movie's like fucking bizarre like i (laughs) yeah like (laughs) even though i do feel the movie is a little blunt and direct in that way i was actually able i feel like to digest the story easier than i thought maybe with the way he was giving it to me that i still don't feel that that is the like emotional response that i got from it to me after you know this really long runtime and just witnessing the events of the movie i think emotionally it cut through to me in a way that like i didn't expect because uh-huh. it's like oddly direct and you know this is drawing from our own history there's nothing like 
you know, Nolan often makes like his own fictional films. Like he obviously Dunkirk is another World War II like movie, but he doesn't normally like do stuff like this. And mm-hmm. so maybe that was another reason. Like when I sat down, I was like, is this like going to work through like his mechanics? But I think he really struck a good balance of like yeah. his coldness and the genuine like reality of the history that he's telling and Mm -hmm. a lot of it is like to one's own devices of course to like emotionally react to as like any movie is but i feel like there were so many scenes in this movie that like gave me enough just viscerally made me like you know react and like contemplate Uh concepts that i'm already aware of but in a really effective cinematic, you know, presentation. Um, Cause I mean, for one, this entire movie is leading up to the, the first test, but kind of what I love is that this like climactic moment doesn't come until like nearly two hours into this movie. Yes. I feel like, you know, yeah. Like at first I was like, it felt like they were going to like build to it so quickly and you're really left on edge for this. Mm -hmm. And I really liked again, like the editing of this movie, but in terms of how they, they play this because you know, they build up for it, you know, in your mind, what is going to happen basically. Like that's, I think what one thing that I really liked about this movie is that you almost start to think, it's going to subvert your expectations and it doesn't. Uh-huh. Um, and I found that incredibly effective. And, you know, everybody will have their own opinion on that because when the scene comes, I was so nervous. And then I was like, after it happens, I'm like, why did I think it would be any different? And yet <laughs> the aftermath of that is back to like really striking through the the emotional reality of just the horror of the spectacle yeah i i like i really was just like pretty shocked by what this movie chose to do in some of those regards because like it takes these like conventions that we're used to like um actors in costumes like yelling at each other and uh, historical figures making little appearances but it just does it in a way that's like so like out there or I don't even want to say out there but it's like very compelling because you start to question like does he know like what he's doing here and then that's what makes a lot of this movie really scary I think mm-hmm. yeah like the frenetic pacing of the movie I think really encapsulates where the mindset of a lot of these characters are and there's like a good line of dialogue um at one point in the movie somewhat early on i think during one of the strauss sequences where somebody says like how you can't really communicate with scientists um because they're so caught up like in their own hubris and i think this movie like captures like you know pre the bomb test within its pacing i think it's really like barreling in that those like first two hours of just like you know these scientists preoccupation with their craft mm-hmm. and still knowing what it will be used for 
but giving themselves no room to reckon with that until it's actually happened. And mm-hmm. it's like, it really highlights a selfishness, a really like ugly humanity. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a really, it's a really like messed up movie when you really, and a really messed up story when you really start to think about it. Like, there were moments like when I first saw the trailer for this movie in theaters, there's the part where Matt Damon's character goes, goes, I would prefer a 0% chance that we blow up the whole world. And you really just, during the context of this whole movie, you're really just grappling with, these guys could have destroyed the whole world. They had to just like face that head on. And that's just like a, a really crazy concept. Summer blockbuster, like the, or like quote unquote summer blockbuster, because you're just like in awe at the selfishness, at the the greed of these people. And I think that the way Nolan portrays that is in a way that doesn't hold your hand through it. Like like you said, a lot of this movie is really blunt and direct. But I think that like are we delving a little more into spoilers now? I think we can. Okay. One moment of this movie that I was just blown away by was um, I'm sure Japan didn't like that. And the the crowd erupts and it's so loud and there's these like horrifying visuals shown on the screen. And I think that it just did a great job of illustrating the bubble that they were in. Mm-hmm. And as much as Oppenheimer seems to regret what he's done, it still, it still creates this like, but you still did it kind of thing. So, right. The whole like last hour of this movie really like is driving home this idea where it's like, you can have guilt, um, but you will never be able to like undo actions. You've yeah. Had. And I, I really liked how head on it took that because <laughs> you can't forgive him. And especially this movie you know, doesn't want you to sympathize with him. And that's what I was really happy to see. Right. Right. And like, I think, you know, the very end of the movie just hits home in such a devastating way of like, again, they were so caught up in their bubble that they only thought about a chain reaction through literal scientific matter. But just proving that a weapon like this could even be made means that, like, we'll never live in a world without it. Mm-hmm. And, again, to, like, end a movie like that is, like... Yeah, the ending of this movie <laughs> like... literally is, like, one of the darkest and bleakest endings. I think, I think like, I've seen in a studio movie in a really long time. I, it yeah, ended, I, I was like... Depressing movie. Fuck, what do I say? Like... I think I went in like the I went on Discord after the movie and I was like, "Well, fuck me! Like, what? <laughs> how am I supposed to react to this?" Yeah, it's an incredibly <laughs> depressing movie um, for like a lot of reasons, and I think another thing that's really highlighted in this movie is just like the limitations of a, a, a person of <laughs> one's mind. Um, there's like a, a line of dialogue. I feel like a lot of people have been. Harping on where he's like, what is it about? What does he say? A theory will only take you so far. Um, And I think this movie is like literally just showing the the limitations of the human mind can only 
take you so far. I don't know. It's all these people who are trying to, they, that live in science. And I mean, we've talked about people creating their bubble, but even in the political sphere, um, all of these like bureaucratic and highly calculated, you know, just like quandaries and rules that, that become meaningless like to Oppenheimer in his whole prosecution, which I think is really effective in the third act. And I will say, I do feel like they do kind of like uh, stuff this final third a little too much with the prosecution, the, the, the close hearing, but it gets to the point where you're watching people have to defend his supposed like nationalism, which he doesn't believe (laughs) and that's also you know pretty pretty loaded for the tone of this movie yes yeah no this is just like such a heavy movie to watch and there's like so many visuals in here that but really the only thing that i could think of was like whoa like you're weird for doing this nolan um yeah, there's, like, constant, like, shots, like, just interstitched into scenes of just, like, movement of, like, atoms or just, like, weird, like, physical, like, space gestures. I don't know how to describe these phenomenons, but just, like... Yeah, like, there's a lot of, like, a lot of people use the word abstract to describe this movie. I don't think I would go as far as to say the whole movie is abstract, but there's definitely, I see where they're coming from there. Like moments where like one shot that i really i thought was incredible was there's a shot where he's laying down in bed and then you can see like like almost like a like a stretch of like atoms or like a a comet's trail going over his face and i was like whoa that is incredible and like just the amount of like intercut visuals here some people like this is gonna sound a little silly but I, I do kind of see where people are coming from when they compare this to something like part eight of Twin Peaks The Return. <laughs> Interesting. I have not heard that. It's, yeah. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't agree with it because that's like really different ballparks, but I just thought it was really like, really just kind of strange how many like, how Nolan it seems like he saw all the people saying, oh, why is Nolan making this movie? Like, we want stuff like the Dark Knight. We want stuff like Tenet. And he's making this biopic. And he just made what is like easily his most challenging movie. Yeah, it's like I like that he made a movie out of his ballpark because this is quite different even from like Dunkirk um, yeah. in terms of just like what his directorial lens looks like in a, in a historical sense. Um, and it's a movie that, you know, because of its like size and length and content is like you know it's hard to just sit down and just like Mm -hmm. talk about it even um coherently but i mean yeah overall i i was just struck with the movie and i do and i really want to see this again just because it caught me so off guard Mm -hmm. um there's a few things just like a few things in the movie that i was not a fan of Uh and I've barely talked about this movie with anybody, so I'm curious to hear. But, like, 
I th- the main thing that I was like quite disappointed by in this movie was um, Emily Blunt. To be honest, I was actually just going to say that Emily Blunt was one of my issues with the movie as well. Because, you know, considering Oppenheimer's affairs and being like a supposed womanizer, I mean, we see that in this movie. It's not like fully delved into as much as other stuff. At the end of the day, like she was his wife, and I was like a little bit disappointed to see like how shortchanged she was, at least in terms of screen time and influence in this movie, because. Basically, at the end of the day, all we get of her perspective is, like, watching her go through alcoholism, like, in the background of scenes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she does play a part in his private hearing. And that's, like, about it. And I feel like I was a little disappointed, like, with what we were given of her. Especially considering how, like, Nolan, he has definitely leaned a little too heavily into the wife character or the daughter character just being these like kind of heavy-handed stereotypes of the way he writes female characters but i i agree with you i i thought her performance was good like don't get me wrong i thought almost all the acting in this movie was pretty stellar but yeah i think that i had an issue with the way that the movie like just basically just portrayed her as the wife character but then they have she gets like one like quote unquote like Oscar clip moment towards the end, and I see a lot of people saying like, "Oh, well, because he gave her this Oscar clip scene, that means that he understood the wife character criticism." I was like, eh, "I don't really know, actually. I don't. I don't really yeah. think that that it goes like that." I thought Florence Pugh was uh, really good in this movie too, and there's one specific visual with her character that honestly like shook me to my core, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it she definitely wasn't like as written as a char- like obviously as Oppenheimer or Strauss cuz those are the two real um key points of this movie. Mm-hmm. The other like I guess I might as well talk about it cuz it is a talking point of this movie funny enough but um the very like first sex scene in this movie I thought the direction was just ridiculous. <laughs> No, I laughed during this scene because I was like, what the fuck am I watching? This is the one moment where I feel like the artificiality and the bluntness did not work. Because even though there is a more over-the-top, like, sexual moment in this movie, oddly, that, I felt like, didn't register as weird as this did. Um, And, again, like, this is the first time Nolan has ever directed sex scenes in a movie. (laughs) So, it's not like we knew like what how he was going to like direct and approach the scene, but this first like scene where uh, Oppenheimer and Gene Tatlock are like hooking up with each other, I felt it was so rushed, and the whole inclusion uh, of the Bhagavad Gita, like I'm Death Destroyer Worlds line, it that was, was just... insanity. It made me laugh out loud in the theater because I was like, "There's no fucking way he does." Right. That. It was just a little too. I felt like ridiculous the way he drank <laughs> yeah no like the and i i keep bringing this up because it literally just baffles me and this like i really had to like sit and think about this for a second too as soon as that scene happened i was like wait so does that mean when he was giving that speech at like the peak of self-hatred and regret of his life probably wants absolutely nothing more than to die or or wish that he had never lived so he can undo this creation thinking about 
His hookup? Got sleep in Florence Pugh. Like, what the fuck? The historical is... implication there was so wild that it, like, and, like, at, at, at that point in the movie, I was like, this is a fucking incredible movie. And then that happened, and I was like, okay, wait, I'm watching a movie still. This is fucking weird. Yeah, it was, like, as I said, like, I feel like the one moment of, like, directorial influence, like, in a scene that just felt like it missed the mark. Even though, again, there's this other just absolutely crazy visual um, of, like, Florence Pugh and, and Killian Murphy nude in the private hearing, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> doing this, like, very cold, stark, like, sexual sequence in which she's, like, in his lap. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like I couldn't believe my eyes, and yet I thought that like that was actually like, pretty striking to me. I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, I feel like the like the register of the tone oddly kind of worked there in a way that the first thing did. Yeah, no, because it was just like such a bizarre like yeah. thing to be seeing in a Christopher Nolan movie. I was like. And oddly enough, it, it became so heavy-handed in that regard that I was like, fuck, this works. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that said, um, I did really like this movie. Yeah. Um, I will definitely see it again. And I'm very open to just like, you know, I feel like I could even have, more, you know, a, not a different reaction. I mean, we'll see. But I'm interested yeah. to see what I'll think watching it again i guess we didn't talk about robert Downey jr much i thought he was quite good in it um, yeah i wouldn't say he was like amazing but i thought for what he had to do in this movie i actually thought he was quite effective yeah yeah i was just gonna ask um your thoughts on like some more of the acting like i thought rdj was like very good in the movie i i did definitely think that a little bit of it was nolan being like oh i need to show that rdj is an actual actor but like, I was reminded, like, during the, I guess, Oscar scene that he has, where he's, like, yelling at Alden Ehrenreich in the in the sidebar room. Mm, I was like, like yeah, he's a great actor. I've missed, I've missed when uh, he did more stuff like this. And, you know, another moment that just absolutely shocked me was the way that, was the way that Casey Affleck's character oh. was framed in this movie. Because when he arrived, I was like Thanos has just arrived like it was so strange and I was like what the fuck I like must have forgotten that he was ever in the cast list because when I saw his face I was like no fucking way <laughs> yeah no I felt the same way about um when David Desmalchian showed up mm-hmm. I literally was like like no fucking way yeah no there are so many um supporting literally performances in this movie from David Desmalchian Alden Ehrenreich Jason Clark, who Alvin Ehrenreich, I also thought was great in the movie. I didn't yeah, really, I quite I, I, I forgot that uh, he's a really good actor. And another actor who surprisingly made an impression on me was Dane DeHaan, who was not doing a lot. He's doing a, quite little, but I feel like the like the bleakness in his eyes um, mm. quite worked in this movie. Yeah, yeah, and I also thought it was interesting the amount of like. I guess, like, heartthrobs is the wrong word, but, like, like there's a lot of people in this movie that are, like, known for playing, like, more, like, wide-eyed and, like, innocent characters, like, Devin Bostick or Jack Quaid or mm-hmm. Alex Wolf. Actually, pretty compelling, too, because 
it just kind of like forces you to to like remove these like preconceived notions you have about them because of their other work like in the boys or in diary of a wimpy kid and like you're like yeah these are not boys these are like monsters basically yeah i felt like almost all of these actors really did get to like sink into the people they were playing and like obviously that goes for killian murphy who we haven't even talked too much about but i mean oh he was in in this entire movie and he's doing the most and i think he does it uh very effectively i thought he was just fantastic yeah it was that was one of my favorite performances of the year i see some people like making a strange comparison this movie to tar um (laughs) i don't agree with that but you know like these lead i guess like if you're just talking like leading performances that are like doing a lot with by doing a little i guess like i get what you're saying but Mm -hmm. because yeah one of the other i think um like effective moments of um doing a lot with doing a little was and it's another like funny scene but like um or not scene but just like kelly murphy can just hold his hand in front of his mouth and just kind of stare into space and just the image and the physicality of him doing something even as simple as that is like just so effective in this movie because at the end of the day you're just like what the hell is he thinking um yeah. like just even witnessing the stuff that he's capable of producing like as in like oppenheimer just like sometimes just even considering what's going on in his mind is just yes. a captivating thing in this film so mm-hmm. oh another just the last the last like actor i wanted to bring up was uh, gary oldman <laughs> not in this movie a lot and it, it took me a second for me to realize oh fuck yeah this is gary oldman um but his scene literally like blew me away. Really, just like drove in the fact that like, yeah, like these guys fucking suck. <laughs> like, yeah. Again, I think it, this is another example of a scene that has very little to no subtlety that I didn't mind at all. I think especially because Gary Oldman in prosthetics can just do this, and yeah. And again, it just highlighted like an ugly behavior just so well. So I actually like that scene also. Yeah, I really like that scene. And like, just uh, there's so many little moments in this movie where I was like, holy shit. Like, I wanted to like get up and like start clapping. Like, like the moment where like Devin Bostick is like throwing up or like when when they first drop the nuke and then Jack Quaid and the other guy like shake hands and like you can tell they look really disappointed. Like, this movie's like. There's there's so much we could talk about with this movie. Right. This is a, just like our first reaction. So it's just like, you know, it's just going to be a little more rambled. Yeah. But um, in that case, we should probably move on to the other half of this uh, with Barbie. You ready? Yeah. All right. How do I even break down the plot of this movie? Because there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie. But basically, Barbie is a heavily self-referential movie about... Barbie as a product of Mattel mm-hmm. and this precon not preconceived this like conceptualized notion of a Barbie land in which yeah. you have Barbies and Kens who are doing their perfunctory you know face value ideas they're performing these ideas of just gender um, expression 
clothing and it is incredibly fun um to like play with these ideas at face value and then obviously that comes kind of crashing down once margot robbie who plays barbie starts just like changing physically mm-hmm. her heels don't work she's walking on flat feet and she has to go into the real world and identify with her own uh conceptions of feminism Mm -hmm. and in the case of ken very quite literally playing into the beneficiary ideas of patriarchy um Mm -hmm. kind of like oppenheimer this movie is not subtle in any way and i think i love how (laughs) unsubtle yeah because it's it's like this movie breaks its own rules on like a lot of different occasions and like i was like fuck i love it for this honestly so this movie i really enjoyed it a lot i don't know if i like absolutely loved it i honestly probably don't absolutely love it but (laughs) i think it is so much fun Mm -hmm. and and at the same time i think even if it comes to very simple conclusions i think those are still conclusions that anybody can learn from of any age so Mm -hmm. i think this movie was very effective um and again like i said it's so much fun it's just like again we should harp on that so like this is a movie that is just like drenched in pink as Mm -hmm. you might know from the uh national outage of pink paint used for this (laughs) but from the sets to the costumes, to just the makeup and hairstyling. And again, like talking about this movie, like breaking boundaries in so many ways, I thought one of the funniest like jokes of this movie was is how they would deliberately tell you the name of the clothing that the Barbies mm. and Kens would be wearing throughout the film by having it freeze frame. Um, it's just so creative in terms of just mm. using the toy like in its literal i like yeah yeah like they just i don't know like (laughs) what more to say like it's just like it's giving you um so much at face value and again just playing with like modern ideas of feminism and in a fun way like it's i mean of course there are always going to be people who complain but I'm like, what is there to complain about, really, in this movie, in terms of, like, its message? Yeah. Yeah, like, for sure, I definitely felt like like there were moments that were a little more on, like, the heavy-handed side. But I didn't think that that detracted too much, because I was just glad that the message was there and conveyed in a way that was very explicit about it. Like, there's, we see a lot of these, like, big movies try to, like, skate around it or try to make a point by not making a point. But I thought that I really admired that this movie was very much so and unapologetically a feminist movie. And I was refreshed by that because, like, you know, especially actually from Margot Robbie, we've seen a lot of movies that she's worked on that I think have not handled the themes as as well as this movie did. Like, for example, Promising a Woman or Birds of Prey, movies like movies along those lines that. I think kind of towed the line between studio feminism and actual feminism. But I thought that the themes of this movie were very strong. And I I didn't mind the fact that it just basically throws itself at you and you're just kind of left to like grapple with 
what is happening on screen. There's many moments in this movie that I really felt absolutely shocked by, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a movie that embraces um, just very silly mechanics. I mean, literally embracing the idea of Barbies and Ken's as toys. Like, there's a great part very early on in the movie where Ken tries to go surfing and, like, starts flying around in the air, and it looks like you're watching just, like, a stop motion like movie for a second yes and just absolutely like hilarious stuff like that i think is just like makes this movie so entertaining you know it's really just such a funny movie and i i also must say that in the end the the barbenheimer double feature i'm glad that i didn't do it in that way because both of these movies actually made me pretty existential and i was like fuck i didn't really want to today but yeah, yeah I, I watched both movies on different days. I don't think I could have watched these on the same day, but yeah, I I do feel like even though like Barbie is like going for existential themes, I feel like at least for me the existential ex- existentialism didn't really get to me in much of a way that um, just like the conversations about um gender at face value got to me because as you were talking about with um like other movies that Margot Robbie's been involved with maybe like not being as effective what's great about Barbie is that you know Greta Gerwig really took the opportunity to be like we're just gonna straight up talk about what these things are in the actual dialogue of the movie like so much of this movie is just characters even having conversations about what any of it means like to them themselves or to what these ideas mean for like audiences because one of my favorite parts about this movie was um america ferrera who is a Mm -hmm. character i did not like know anything about going into this movie and she's just playing this mother um of a daughter that barbie interacts with um Mm -hmm. but she's she is there to kind of just deliver a lot of the ideas in the movie but it was so earnest and again upfront about it that she's allowing like this barbie doll to engage with the concepts that like she presents for people in the real world and that makes especially like the second half of this movie again like fun just to even like hear these people saying these things out loud but also to show how they use it in practice because of course we can't ignore it. The second half of this movie is all about Kendom. And it's just yes. like, they just go for it. Again, like, Ken in the real world, like, reading books about patriarchy and trying to really influence, like, a male-dominated uh, version of Barbie Land in the second half of this movie with just, again, like, just some outrageous, like, <laughs> ridiculous sequences of... Um... No, yeah, I really just couldn't <laughs> believe my eyes, especially at that part, like, I kind of theorized from, like, some marketing for this movie. I was like, okay, I kind of feel like they might be going to try to go for something that's, like, Ken goes to the real world and becomes sexist or um, a Sigma male kind of thing. And then, like, actually seeing it play out that way on screen was really shocking because not only was it, like, really funny to be seeing, like, some of these actors, like Ryan Gosling, who's obviously known for that kind of like very like masculine type of movie role, but also actors that really aren't like uh, Kingsley Benedict, Shruti Gatwa, um, 
And it was just like, or even Simu Liu, who's like a pretty like comedic actor. I know he's his big role is a Marvel role, but mm-hmm. it was really just like, like shocking to be like seeing some of these things and hearing these things come out of people's and like I, I knew that the I'm just Ken song was gonna be in the movie but what I was really shocked at was for some reason I thought that it was going to be like a like a song about that almost like villainized like Barbie in a way or that like Ken would be portrayed as a victim but the way that song plays into the movie, it's really like you really don't feel bad for Ken at all in this point in the movie because he's basically the villain of this segment of the movie. Yeah, it again, you brought up a good point of like the persona of Ryan Gosling online, and I can't like assume like Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie like know about those memes, but at the same time, I feel like they must because, like, again, just watching ryan gosling in this movie it really feels like they're using him to help play into like yeah again just like ideas of masculinity as well if like the main ken was simu liu or uh john cena or someone like that yeah yeah for sure i think this movie is like very well directed because it's just so eccentric and like out there i mean not out there but you know like doing a lot of what it is yeah yeah, like a lot of its filmmaking is just like unconventional to some degree. But um, yeah, for some reason, I feel like I wasn't like as in love with it as other people. I guess like some things is like there's a whole subplot with Mattel and Will Ferrell. And I felt that like didn't work for me as well as I thought it was going to. I, I right. There. The idea is there. It's very clear. And it's also quite predictable. And like. I don't know. It just like was detracting from <laughs> the rest of the movie to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I in Will Ferrell can do this in his sleep. So yeah. like, this whole like whenever it would cut back to like that whole subplot, I just it was I felt like just like unnecessary and like mm-hmm. this movie's almost two hours. So I was just like, you know even like Yeah, I definitely I definitely felt like there were times where this movie kind of towed the line a little too much between trying to be this like Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie are taking down feminism and Mattel and gender roles but then there were also times where it leaned a little t- I think that it, the movie had a little bit of a problem where it it was trying not to be like the quote-unquote like fish out of water movie like Elf or Enchanted or a movie like that yeah I get um, and I kind of felt like in the end, they both leaned too much away from having it be a fish out of water movie, and they leaned too much into it because Barbie and Will Ferrell share very little screen time in this movie, and it just kind of felt like every time we were going back to Will Ferrell, I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot we have to do this." Okay, um, but like he was fine in the movie. I didn't, I didn't have any issues with his performance. I was just like, I wish there was less of this. Right, especially because a lot of the ideas it's getting at are already being represented in other parts of the movie. Yeah. So, yeah. And overall, considering this movie is almost two hours, as I mentioned, something about it did feel long to me. Yeah. Like, in terms of its pacing. And I feel like maybe, I feel like the third, or not the third, excuse me, the middle of this movie 
it just in terms of its pacing, like I don't understand the middle of this movie because it feels so much like the the opening is so quick and then they get to the real yeah, world. Yeah, it's so really quick. fast until they get to the real world. And then like everything with the kingdom to the end, which is like a lot of time, just feels like a whole third act. And this is obviously nitpicky, but I felt like the structure of the movie just wasn't quite balanced. And again, it's a movie that's and often, you know, wants to have his cake and eat it too. Not in a bad way, but um, I felt like sometimes its ambitions almost needed to be a little more structured. Um, but I thought the acting was great in this movie because everybody's just so game. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the acting is really good here. Like, especially... You know, a lot of people single out Ryan Gosling. He's fantastic in this movie. He's extremely funny. There's the bit that makes me, like, fucking cry laughing even when I just think about it is when Barbie comes back into Kendom and he just goes, Sublime! And then walks back into the frame. (laughs) He's just doing so much that Mm -hmm. I really don't think anyone else could have played this, this character and also, like, Margot Robbie, I thought, was great here as well. Right. I think Margot Robbie is giving an equally great comedic performance. And Greta Gerwig is, ha- like, both of them as a creative team are so, like, game into the comedic moments they give her. Because I feel like some of the best scenes in this movie were just small moments of Barbie's presence in the real world where... Again, even though it goes through these things quickly, you see all these different spectrums of like her having to experience misogyny, her getting just fun moments with other women, <coughs> her being judged by other women. And again, even though like a lot of this happens quickly, I really liked the the spectrum and the direction and again the unsubtlety of like playing with the concepts and the depictions of Barbie in the real world, because at the end of the day, we watch this movie and we take away or we continue the conversations mm-hmm. that the movie elevates. And that's like one thing that's so <clears throat> a line towards the end of this movie where it says like people end, but ideas live on. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie practices that in such a great way. And again, in terms of its comedy and just like its messaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also, I'd like to add that I think that while this movie is like really funny, I also think that there's a bit of it or actually I would say a lot of it that honestly rung to me as kind of like upsetting. Like I know that it's like, there's like fun to be had with the visual of, Ryan Gosling throwing all the Barbie clothes out of the dream house and breaking her plants and stuff. But it it really just like rung to me about how, about how the place in the patriarchy for so many men who are like raised around women um, kind of has, like it just showed to me how like easy it is to fall into that like angry or hateful pipeline. And it, it just really, like, made me think about myself and it made me think about people I know. And it just, the ending of this movie with the montage, too, it, it really hit me close. I thought it was a really emotionally affecting movie. 
Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that, again, prevents me from loving it is I felt like I almost wanted a little more in terms of some of this, like, emotional baggage, or at least, like, at least some of the way the movie went about it didn't cut through to me in as emotive a way. And, like, again, I thought there is this montage at the end of the movie, but I felt like for some reason the direction of it wasn't getting to me because so much of it was like blurry and cutting uh even though it's alluding to just like a very sweet and genuine like sense of humanity and so i feel like some of that i kind of wish almost has lingered on more or cut through to me a bit more but again it's definitely um the seeds of its existentialism are are really built into the movie just speaking as someone who's like been a fan of Greta Gerwig for a really long time, part of me does wish this movie, like, I don't want to say it like took itself more seriously, but I felt like the idea of this being like a really sad movie or like as sad as like Little Women or Ladybird, I felt like that was a little overblown because I spent a lot of this movie laughing. And then, and I, I guess, I don't know, I guess maybe if there was like another like, like cry moment, I guess that could have. No, I get what you're saying. <laughs> you know, because, like, I think back to, like, Little Women and how, like, even, like, little edits in that movie can make me cry. And it's, it was just, like, I didn't really have that here. But, you know, I I really thought it was a strong foot forward for Greta Gerwig. Especially, like, as cementing her place as a big director in Hollywood. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm just I'm really excited to see where she goes next. I do hope that she doesn't just do movies like this from now on because like, you know, Lady Bird and Little Women are some of my favorite movies, but Right. I like I don't want to say I grew up with Gregory cuz it always sounds funny to say stuff like that, but mm-hmm. like watching her act in movies when I was like a teenager like watching Frances Ha and Mistress America and then like getting to see her early directorial efforts like you know, those movies have left such an impression on me in my life. And it's so interesting to see her here now. Mm-hmm. Um, and if With anything, the biggest opening weekend for a woman ever. Like, that ever, is yeah. insane. Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, Captain Marvel, like, movies like that, like, got shut down by Greta Gerwig. Like, that is insane. Right. It's incredible. And so, and again, maybe that also leads into, like, you know, of course I kind of knew this movie wasn't going to hit in an emotional way that her other movies have. And, you know, this is a movie that is clearly, like, trying to be a four-quadrant, like, movie. It's, like, for a mass audience. And mm-hmm. it's, it is great that it is, like, actually being embraced that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, like, I don't know what tri- criticism I'm trying to enact. Yeah, but... I guess if I, if I could step in, it feels a little more like, Greta Gerwig making a movie for a four quadrant audience rather than a four quadrant audience being given a Greta Gerwig movie. Right. You know, there's just like something <clears throat> about her earlier work that I identify with that is just like, you know, understandably it's not going to be present in like a bigger film. And so, yeah. you know, I think there's a there's a yearning and a longing that I am left with with this movie where I'm like, oh, that was just so much fun. And I still like... Yeah, it's just like, it's such a fun movie and the themes will really work and the acting's really great. It, 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 just, it just stopped a little short of being that like 
once in a lifetime Greta Gerwig masterpiece that I'm kind of used to, but you yeah. know, I'm glad to see her with such success. So yeah, I'm not mad about it at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, I did love this movie. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's a good little conversation yeah. about. Oh, I also, oh. I wanted to know um, your thoughts on the music in the movie, because I thought the soundtrack was really fun. There's a lot of fun pop music in this movie. I enjoyed a good amount of it. I don't think it's like a lot of stuff that I'm going to like listen to a lot, but I did really like moments like, um, was it Lizzo at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. Like I really like those moments that are really like playing with the narrative. And then there's songs that are more just like background dressing. Yeah. But it is a very like uh, loud movie in terms of its score. It's like, you know, here's all this pop and like, here's Ryan Gosling, like going at it. And so it Mm -hmm. is an admirable effort for sure. (laughs) Yeah. No. Yeah. And like, that's just another thing. Like the movie, like when I say that, like it breaks its own rules or like plays around with its own rules, like this movie, like occasionally breaks the fourth wall. It occasionally plays with its narration and um, it just stops and has a musical number about three fourths of the way through the movie. And I'm like, I like that. Like it's, yeah, and like we even have like Helen Mirren directly acknowledging that this is Margot Robbie as an actress. <laughs> like, I thought that, that was, was hilarious. That was such a good moment. Especially, I thought it was funny because like I for- I actually completely forgotten about Helen Mirren by that point of the movie. It is like such like a record scratch moment, and you know this is a movie that definitely wants to rely on those. But I thought that one was just, like hilariously executed. And yeah. the one that got, like, a lot of laughs from my audience was Issa Rae, like, cursing, and it's bleeped out by, like, a Mattel logo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that is really playful. No, yeah, this movie's really funny. Um, Another m- random moment, like, that I keep bringing up, like, I don't even think this is, like, the funniest thing in the world, but for some reason, it, I just couldn't stop laughing over it. But it's when they're all saying, hi, Barbie, hi, Barbie, hi, Ken, hi, Ken. And then it cuts to Kingsley Benadir's Ken, and he just goes, Hey, Ken, I got to spill some ice cream. And he holds up two ice cream cones. I thought Kingsley Benadir was really fun in this movie. He's good. Yeah. And, like, all the Kens I thought were really fun. Like, Shuti Gatwa, he didn't get a ton to do, but I liked him in this movie quite a bit. Um, Simu Liu I thought was funny in the movie as well, as a kind of foil to Ryan Gosling's Ken. Yeah, they have a little bit of a rivalry going on. Yeah, especially when they're... They... When they have their little, like, dance battle and they, like, rock, paper, scissors. Like, it was just so funny. Mm-hmm. Again, I think, I mean, we've talked about, like, this being, like, a big blockbuster movie. But it is great to occasionally see, like, shots in this movie that just have so many people in it. Like, yeah, the Ken War on the beach. There's just, like, so many actors in, like, yeah. in those scenes. And it's, just, like, yeah. funny to see shots filled with people, especially the dance number also. Yeah, especially because, like, during COVID, like, we had a lot of movies where people were just being, like, superimposed together, like, Spider-Man No Way Home or Doctor Strange. Like, those, there's none of that here. Like, it's a ton of people doing a ton of things, and I loved it for that. Yeah. All right. I think, do you think that's a good... That's a pretty good stopping point. That's a pretty good stopping point. We went on for Two about... great movies, and... If this is the last thing we get for a little while because of the strikes, I'd be pretty happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, this is going to be an interesting like remainder of the summer. You know, we we were building up for this, and now it's come out, and it's like, huh? What's left? it's bigger than we, and some in some ways bigger and better than we ever could have imagined. Right. Like at this point, we're probably going to be feasting on these two instead of seeing. I don't know. 
haunted mansion and whatever like gran turismo like we really yeah, like like come on and like blue beetle like that's not making a, a movement now mm-hmm. yeah i will say to foreshadow like this when we do our box office summer recap it's just gonna be hilarious because it's 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 pretty bad for us so far. Yeah, it's looking bad. Ironically, though, it's funny because some of the things that have happened are things. I was just like, well, that's never gonna happen. So I'm gonna have to do shit like put Indiana Jones at the top, and well, we'll talk more about that later. Yeah. All right, but um, thank you guys for listening to our conversations on Barbenheimer. Make sure to. Follow us on Spotify and wherever you listen mm-hmm. to podcasts. And hopefully we'll be back with some more content soon. Yeah. Be sure to have a good time and you're doing the great staring your Mojo Dojo Casa House. <laughs>